This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. Yes, indeed. NBA Sound System Live coming at you 3 Eastern time on a Tuesday. It is Carlin Gay. It is Scott Rafferty. And we are finally in playoff form. Uh, Scott, the playoffs got started on Monday. We'll talk about a lot of things that happened uh, in, in those game ones. Can the Rockets survive without Russell Westbrook? That's a question everyone's asking. We'll answer it here. Um, what did the Miami Heat have to do to make Scott a believer? We'll find out in just a bit. And also, are we sleeping on the Denver Nuggets after that thrilling game one between them and the Utah Jazz? We'll talk about all that and more right here over the next half hour or so right here on NBA Sound System Live. You can follow us on social media at NBA Sound System. And if you are listening to the live show, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast form. It is on iTunes at NBA Sound System. All right, Scott, let's get right into it with the biggest question heading into the playoffs that many people are asking. We finally saw the Portland Trailblazers officially punch their ticket to get into the postseason. They took the long way home, but they uh, they were able to get into the playing game. They were able to knock off the Grizzlies, and now they're the eighth seed looking to knock off the first-seeded Lakers. Do the Portland Trailblazers stand a chance against the number one-seeded Los Angeles Lakers in the first round. I, I don't want to be a party pooper, but I I have a hard time seeing the Blazers making a big series out of this. Because look, even though Damian Lillard averaged what felt like 100 points per game in those final four games um, in the seeding games, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him in this series, especially with CJ McCollum dealing with that um, you know fractured or broken bone in his back. Um, you know, Nurkic still working his way back as good as he's been. There's still a lot of pressure on him. And I just worry about this this uh, Blazers team defensively. You know, over those eight seeding games, they ranked 20th out of the 22 teams in defensive efficiency, giving up 120 points per 100. And look, the Lakers haven't been great offensively either. LeBron struggled in those eight seeding games. AD struggled a little bit as well. But I just think that this Blazers team is not good enough defensively to actually challenge these Lakers. Yeah, it, it, it's. Uh, I, I agree with you there. I mean, nice story. The Portland Trailblazers have been a nice story. Getting into the postseason the way they had. Damian Lillard is uh, clearly one of the top 10 players in the NBA today. In my opinion, he's the best offensive player in the league today. But as Scott brought up, defensively is really where I have questions about this team. And they struggle to stop the Brooklyn Nets. They struggled to stop a shorthanded Memphis Grizzlies team. Uh, they allowed both of those teams to score, uh, you know, close to 120 points. In, in the case of the Grizzlies, I think they actually did get to 122. The Nets went to 133 points, and we're not even talking about overtime games here, folks. 133 points to a team that you know you'd have to Google to find out who was on that roster in Brooklyn, uh, and 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 you know they just really haven't shown us anything on the defensive end that can make me believe they have a shot at slowing down LeBron James or Anthony Davis. Yes, I know LeBron and Anthony Davis haven't looked their best in the eight seeding games, but guess what? They're about to flip the switch into playoff mode, and both of those guys are our top five players in the NBA on both ends of the floor. This series will be short and sweet, 
And uh, like I said, nice story for the Blazers, but they do not stand a chance against the Lakers. People need to stop this narrative that the, the, the Portland Trailblazers are putting fear into LeBron. He should sleep with one eye open and all this other stuff. I'm going to be fascinated to see how the Lakers defend the Blazers, though, because you know the talk when Avery Bradley, when we knew that Avery Bradley wasn't going to be going to Orlando, was that this Lakers team could really struggle to defend point guards. And suddenly they're facing, what, the best healthy point guard or the best point guard in Orlando and Damian Lillard. Um, and, I, and I don't think it's going to be a matter of, you know, Danny Green is guarding him for the entire game and they're going one-on-one coverage. You know, we, we saw AD has experience against Damian Lillard in the playoffs. It was several years ago that the Pelicans upset the Blazers in the first round and Drew Holiday and AD broke out that, you know, trap scheme against Dame that, that slowed him down. And I think he's, you know, he, he's learned from that and he will beat that scheme more times than not nowadays. Um, but I, I do wonder, you know, if the Lakers are going to be aggressive in doubling him, getting the ball out of his hands, um, trying to get Nurkic to make plays, trying to get CJ to make plays, um, and, and how the Blazers respond. Because we saw in those seeding games that Nurkic and Whiteside played a little bit together. I think they played like four minutes or something. But I do wonder if this is one of those series when they go to that, because, you know, if AD is going to trap Dame several feet behind the three-point line, JaVale McGee is big enough to kind of protect the rim against Nurkic rolling to the basket. And if you have Whiteside out there, you have another guy around the basket who can who can put some pressure on the Lakers. Or do you go with someone like Carmelo Anthony, who's, you know, had moments in the bubble? Um, so I, I, I'm fascinated to see how the Lakers kind of approach that Dame matchup and the trickle-down effects that it has on the Blazers. But like you, I mean, I, I just... I have a hard time seeing the Blazers being able to keep up with the Lakers. Yeah, heading into game one, Vegas agrees with us that this won't be close. The Lakers are six-and-a-half-point favorites uh, heading into to game one. I think the most important thing for the Lakers here is to get out of this series with limited to no damage uh, in terms of the wear and tear on their body. We know LeBron James is now in year 17. He's already dealing with a groin issue right now. Anthony Davis dealing with a knee issue. Uh, if they can keep those guys playing the fewest amount of minutes possible going forward um, and still winning games. I think that's the important part here uh, in their first round series. All right, let's move on to uh, a guy who played his first playoff game, and boy, did he look good doing it. Luka Doncic sets the record for playoff debut in terms of points scored, 42 points, uh, seven rebounds, nine assists, three steals, and we'll have to utter under our breath a lot of turnovers. Uh, but Luka Doncic looked great in his first uh, in the first playoff game. Unfortunately, came on a losing end in Game One to the Clippers. Uh, what was your takeaway and what's your thoughts on Luka's first game? I mean, he was incredible. You know, the the, the turnovers aside, I mean, we should talk about the turnovers real quick because he had eleven turnovers. That that's a lot. Uh, but five of those did come within the first, I want to say, like five possessions or five minutes of the game when the Clippers basically looked like the most terrifying defense in the league with Patrick Beverly swarming him, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George um, just flying around. But I mean, outside of that star, he, he was just incredible, especially offensively. Um, he had a much easier time scoring one-on-one against the Clippers as the game went on than I thought he would, considering that this is a team that you know has two of the best perimeter defenders in Kawhi and Paul George plus a really gritty defender in Patrick Beverly. But he, I mean, he was just bulldozing his way through Patrick Beverly. Um, Kawhi Leonard guarded him a decent amount, but they just put him in a pick and roll and suddenly Luka is attacking a weaker defender going downhill. Uh, he's just so crafty around the basket. And, and it's it's wild, you know, we've been talking about Luka. He was a rookie of the year last year. We've been talking about him being, you know, the, 20, the best 20-year-old 20 season and best 21-year-old season in NBA history and all that. 
it's easy to forget that this guy is in his second season and he's already, you know, putting up 41 points or whatever, 42 points in his playoff debut, um, making things interesting against a team that I I consider the the favorites to win the title this season. Um, and we, we were talking about this a little bit earlier too. There's players, young players go through these arcs where it's like, you know, first season they catch everyone off guard or they prove that they have all this potential. Then usually second year, they start, there's things that we start to nitpick at, you know, like, Jason Tatum last year, it's like he's settling for too many mid-range jumpers. He's not getting to the basket enough. He's not drawing off free throws. And that stuff comes with time. But with Luka, it's like he's 21 years old in his second season. He pretty much has everything already in the bag. And of course, there's ways that he can improve. But he's just already an absolute handful offensively. Um, And, you know, there's a reason why we've been talking him all season long as a potential, you know, MVP candidate, top six, seven, eight player in the league. Um, at this young age, he, he's just—he's—he's he's so far beyond his years. He's incredible. Yeah, he—he was—he truly was special uh, last, you know, on on Monday. Um, you know, the forty-two points is great. The assist is really what stuck out to me. Nine assists, um, and all the dimes that he was able to hand out. He really put. You know the guys like you know Seth Curry and uh, and even Michael Kidd Gilchrist knocked down two three pointers. He put him in positions to be successful. Darren uh, Dorian Finney Smith was able to knock down some shots too. Uh, Porzingis for the time that he was in the game, and we'll get to the ejection in a second. Uh, he was terrific with with Luca on the floor with him. Was a little bit passive without him on the floor, but he was terrific when Luca was on the floor with him. Uh, and then you look at the shots. I mean, he he took twenty one shots in the game. And the immediate assumptions, like, well, maybe half of those were three-pointers. That's not the case. He only took six three-pointers yesterday, got to the line 15 times. And as you said, for a team as with as many perimeter defenders as the Clippers can throw at you, from Kawhi to Paul George to Patrick Beverly to, to Marcus Morris, they all took their turns guarding Luka, and Luka was still able to get to his spots and, and really control the game and the tempo of the game. Uh, and, and that, to me, is what stuck out the most. They they tried to do different things uh, in, in terms of guarding him one-on-one, and they weren't able to do that, And which means to me uh, that Luka Doncic is not going to see another one-on-one matchup for the rest of the series. Like The Clippers are going to have to find different ways to, to show a wall for him or, or, or give him a different look defensively. Otherwise, he's going to average 40 for the entire series, and, and the Clippers may you know, be in trouble in terms of dropping a couple of games that they probably shouldn't. Like this, everyone probably expected this series to be a sweep, right? Like it, I mean, most people, if not a sweep, it, it, it end in five. If Luka's able to play like this, or if the Clippers decide to defend him in this manner, uh, this series is going to go a lot longer than four or five games. The thing that's difficult about the Mavs is that there's four three-point shooters around him every single second he's on the court, basically. You know, Maxi Kleber took five threes in that game, and he only made one of them, but he's been like a 40% three-point shooter all season long. So when you talk about, like, showing him another body, that just means someone's helping off of a three-point shooter, and we all know Luka's going to... I mean, you said it. Some of the passes he made last night were just incredible. Like, we're talking, he's, he's getting by his man... There was one when I, I want to say he Euro-stepped his way around like Patrick Beverly helping off, and then he just flung a, a, a dart from one side of the court to the other to Seth Curry um, in his shooting pocket for, for a good look at a three that he made. Like he He's just so difficult to defend, in part because that the Mavericks have built this team around him where they just shoot a ton of threes and they have three-point shooters every position. So he always has space to play with because if there is a second defender, that means someone's open. Um, so, I mean, that's why they were the best offense in the league this season. And that their problem is defensively, because 
if if this Mavericks team can ever get to the point where you know they're a top ten defense or whatever in the years to come, I mean this team's going to be terrifying. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up defense because defense uh, in this series is going to begin and end with Kristaps Porzingis. Um, he, he's the best rim protector on the floor for this Maverick team, and, and he's a pretty good rim protector in, in terms of just league-wide. Uh, but he gets ejected in, in the middle of that game. Uh, the first uh, two technical fouls he picked up, the first tech, um, he blocked the shot at the rim, was as clean as can, clean can be, uh, and the refs made the call that it was a foul, and he reacted. Uh, you know, punching in the air. They gave him the first tech there. The second tech came uh, a little bit later on when he was doing the right thing, protecting Luka Doncic. Marcus Morris had got into the face of Luka, and to keep his star player out of it, uh, you know, Porzingis stepped up and, and, and being the leader on the team that he is and sort of tried to, uh, you know, step in between Morris and Doncic, and he gets hit with the second technical foul, which... You know, you know, ended his night early. Only 20 minutes in that one. He had 14.6 rebounds. Like I said, he could have been more aggressive when Luca was off the floor, uh, but he, he had a, a, a terrific game uh, in a short period of time that he was on the floor for. But a lot of the way that I think we're going to evaluate the Mavs' performance when Porzingis is in the game is a: how does he play when Luca's on the bench, and b: uh, how are they defensively? So first things first, what what do you think of uh, you know the the ejection, and then secondly, um, what's your thoughts on Porzingis and, and what he needs to do in this series to keep the Mavs in it? I mean, you never want to see the second best player on a team in a competitive game get ejected twenty minutes into it, right? So that that's my answer. Like I I think it's the playoffs. Guys are gonna play hard. Guys are heated. You don't want to give a tech or hand out techs that soon. So that right. that would be my response to it. Um, I, I'm with you defensively. There's a lot of pressure on Paul Zingas because he, he has the potential. I mean, we've seen signs of it before that he's a really good defender. Not only a big-time rim protector, but he can move his feet a little bit out on the perimeter. Not that you want him switching across you know, every position like we've seen Draymond Green or anything like that. Um, but no, that there is a lot of pressure on him because I, I, I'm big on Maxi Kleber too. Um, but he's not, you know, he's not going to just anchor a defense. He's more of a guy who will switch on to, to, to smaller players. Uh, we saw him guarding Kawhi a lot in that game. And even though Kawhi scored a bunch against him, I, I actually thought he, he did a pretty good job um, getting him to take the shots that the Mavs wanted him to take and just living with it. But yeah, you're right. Paul Zingas has a lot of pressure on him in the series to protect the rim. Um, and we, we didn't see a ton of Montrez Harrell uh, in game one. He, I think he only played, yeah, he played 15 minutes off the bench. This was his first game in the bubble. Uh, but, you know, the more minutes that he gets in this series, we know he's one of the best rollers in the league, one of the best cutters and everything like that. So there's going to be, he's going to put a lot of pressure on this Mavericks team as he starts to get more minutes, which means, you know, more of Paul Zingas having to, to protect the rim and kind of anchor their, their defense. Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how both those teams come out in game two, uh, which goes down on, on Wednesday. Um, before we move on, let's take a break quick and talk about our sister podcast, Sound System FC. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to Sound System FC. Brand new episode, uh, or, or the latest episode, was uh, Pure Low Talk. Uh, you go back and hear, listen to what Lawrence and Bo had to say about what their thoughts were leading into the Champions League quarterfinals. Uh, and, and I'm sure they'll have plenty of thoughts coming out of what happened in Champions League quarterfinals. Changes at Juventus, uh, plenty changes all around. And of course, um, before we know it, 
it's going to be football season once again. Uh, plenty of the leagues maybe stopping down for less than a month and it's starting right back up again. It's going to be a quick turnaround to get back in business on the pitch. Sound System FC will have you covered all throughout. Subscribe now, right now on iTunes. Just search Sound System FC. Um, the Denver Nuggets, they came away with a victory in game one in overtime. After uh, watching Donovan Mitchell score and score and score some more, uh, he finished with 57 points, third most in a playoff game by anyone. And it still wasn't enough to get past the Nuggets because Jamal Murray stepped up in the clutch, 36 points, but he was on fire late in the fourth quarter and in overtime. Um, are, are we sleeping on the Denver Nuggets? Was that a game that proved to you that this team might be a contender in the West? I still have some questions about them, and and the big one is just their depth because right now they still don't have Gary Harris, who's one of their best, probably their best per- perimeter defender, um, and they also don't have Will Barton, who is their third leading scorer this season. They've been with the team for pretty much for most of the time in the bubble, I think, and they didn't play in any of the seeding games, and they didn't play in game one. And I remember ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski uh, tweeted at some point last week that they were still hopeful that they might get some burn in the, their final seeding games. So I, I don't know what's going on with them. And as long as they're out, I, I don't see this team, you know, being a real threat against the best teams in the West. But I mean, this do, there's no doubt that this Denver team has a ton of talent. Jokic is an absolute superstar. He finished, I, he was in the top five in MVP voting last year. He's had a, an incredible season. You and I have debated before about whether or not he is the best passing big man of all time. I don't think it's particularly close. I think he is. Jamal Murray is incredibly talented, as we saw in game one. My only concern with him is that he's, he's he has a tendency to be a little inconsistent. Like he, he'll have a big explosive game in game one, and then he'll probably come back down to earth, or he has in the past in, in a game two. And for this Nuggets team to really be able to hang with the best, especially when you consider the amount of money they just committed to him, they're basically paying him to be you know an all-star next to Nikola Jokic. They need him to perform at that level more consistently. Not that he's going to go for 36 every single game, but they need him to provide, you know, consistent scoring punch next to Jokic because he is their, he's he's easily their best perimeter scorer. He could be their best scorer on their team. Um, so until that kind of happens or they get someone who is more consistent in that regard, I have a hard time seeing them push teams, but there's no doubt that they have a ton of talent. They have a ton of talent. The promise is there. You're right about Barton and you're right about Harris. And I think it shows up, Less, I'm less worried about their perimeter defense and and more well perimeter defense meaning their 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 ability to, to guard the three point line. The Jazz, uh, you know, they knocked down 16 three pointers in game one, and that's really what helped them kind of cook to the lead that they were able to get to. It's really what got Donovan Mitchell going. He was on fire from three point range, uh, but Denver has been giving up you know the three ball a lot uh this season and in the bubble even more so and that might have to do with the fact that gary harris and will barton aren't there uh providing the same pressure on the three-point line as they normally would now denver was able to counter that shooting 54 54 from three-point range on their on the other end so you you give a plus there but i just wonder how much uh what what, what step up they can take defensively if you add a Gary Harris or Will Barton on the floor just one of them would be huge and then I wonder how you know this team's deep and you know when they're all healthy I, I just don't know how many minutes you can give Gary Harris or 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 Will Barton when you have the ability to roll out there with you know Michael Porter Jr. Jokic uh, you know J- Jamal Murray Jerry and Grant 
at some points and and in a Paul Millsap like that's a that's a lineup that uh, you know that is is huge large and, and very unique for Denver I just don't know how much you can go to a Will Barton or Gary Harris or even if or both of them for that matter uh, in, in clutch situations well if nothing else it gives you options right because I, I'm high on Michael Porter Jr. You know me. I've done a complete 180 on him over the last year, basically. He still has a long way to go defensively, and we kind of saw it in that game one. Like He he, he had some problems keeping up um, with the Jazz defensively in that game. So if you have a Gary Harris, maybe he's playing over Michael Porter Jr. down the stretch. And again, Will Barton's a really good scorer, and it's it didn't matter as much in game one because Jamal Murray had, for my money, the best game of his life. I don't think I've ever seen him play that well before. But if Murray does come back down to earth in game two, uh, you, you will need some more scoring from guys like Will Barton. Um, and also, by the way, Gary Harris, whatever's happened to him, I don't know. Because like two seasons ago, he was one of the best three-point shooters in the league. And that's just fallen off a cliff. But if he can start knocking down threes again, I mean, I, I have no doubt that he's going to be in the lineup when they need him the most. Just because of the way the, the things that he can do well is what every team's looking for, which is... You know, he's, he's big and long enough to match up with multiple positions defensively. And then if you can knock down threes, that's huge next to a guy like Jokic and Murray. Yeah, it just, it just adds more space for Jokic and Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr. For, for that matter as well, to be able to knock down shots uh, from the perimeter. All right, let's talk about two teams who have yet to start their playoffs uh, at the time of talking right now. The Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers set for Game 1 on Tuesday. Um, the Heat, in my opinion, is probably the most slept-on team in the playoffs right now. Uh, they have, and I've said it before on this podcast, I talked about it with, with the Mike Adams uh, in, in a previous episode. Uh, I, I really believe Miami has the tools to make a run. They got the go-to star in Jimmy Butler. They have a system that just they stick to that it, it won't fail them. Whether it fails them or, or, or doesn't, that's the system that they're going to play. You know what you're going to get out of them. They got a bunch of young talent. They knock down threes at a high clip. And they can defend, uh, you know, multiple uh, positions and, and do it. They, they could defend big teams. They could defend small teams. They got an anchor in Bam Adebayo and also a, a great defender in Jimmy Butler leading the way there. I, I think, and they're well coached. I, I think the Miami Heat are one of the teams uh, that can surprise us in this postseason. If it were up to you, what, what do you need to see out of the Miami Heat to make you a, be- a believer this year that they may get out of the Eastern Conference? It's funny, you sent me this question and I, I had no idea how to respond to it because I there's just something missing with this team to me and I can't quite put my finger on it because I feel like offensively they've been fantastic this season and defensively they actually haven't been as good um, as I think that as I thought they would be. So I almost feel like they're not quite as good offensively but they're better defensively. And I also kind of just worry about their offense a little when it when games get close and in the half court. Because they rely a lot on Duncan Robinson dribble handoffs with Bam Adebayo in their half-court offense. And I wonder if teams will start to, you know, figure that out a little bit more in the playoffs. And Jimmy Butler, we've took, you know, Jimmy Butler's awesome. He's he's an all-star. He's one of the best players in the league and everything like that. He's really struggled in the clutch this season. And for whatever reason, his jump shot's just fallen off a cliff. He's been terrible for mid-range this season. And he's been awful from he's basically turned into like DeMar DeRozan where he just doesn't really like he turns down open threes um, and he's made up for that because you know he's a fantastic player he's super aggressive he gets to line better than pretty much every single player in the league not named James Harden 
um, and he, he's a good passer and all that. So he's figured out he's still a handful, even though he can't knock down those those shots. But I do wonder if it's like game six or seven against the Bucks or the Raptors in the conference finals. To me, like I still I I, I don't quite trust their end of game offense. Do, is that fair? Does that make sense? I I think the yeah I I mean I understand that and and when and on the surface when you look at kind of Jimmy's numbers in the clutch this season I think it's easy to just look at the shooting percentages and say all right he hasn't had the typical shooting percentage uh, that he normally would have in big moments but uh, you look at Jimmy and and the way that he's been able to get to the line in the clutch I think that's made up for some of the missed shots that he's had uh, in in big moments because that's a part of you know being able to get to the line. Period. Uh, when the game's on the line, that's a, that's a big part of uh, you know making a play when it matters most, and he can still do that. The three point shot, as you said, falling off a cliff, so we can't really rely on that. But that's okay because it's still the number one true shooting team coming into the playoffs. The number one you know effective field, or sorry, number three effective field goal team coming into the postseason, and their second and three point field goal uh, percentage coming into the postseason. This is a team that can shoot. Kelly Olynyk, uh, you know, they'll spread the floor, they'll beat you in different ways. And then they could beat you down low with with guys that can post up Bam and Jimmy can post up smaller guards. And if Miles Leonard could get healthy again, maybe that gives him another option uh, defensively to guard another big. But I don't think they'll need that going into this series with the Pacers. TJ Warren has been incredible, but now he's going to see a defense that he really struggled against in the seeding games. And and this will be another opportunity for the Heat to really flex their muscle uh, defensively for however long the series lasts. Jimmy Butler shooting this season, by the way, 31.7% from mid-range and 24.4% from three-point range. So those are those are rough numbers. But I, I mean, I'm with you. He's been absolutely incredible getting to the line this season. But I do, like, we've, we've kind of seen it with James Harden in the past where suddenly those calls that you get in the regular season don't happen as frequently in the playoffs. And I think so, now that I'm, I'm kind of talking through and thinking about it, I think a large part of it too is that their two best players can't really shoot. And I think that's a big thing. Now, look, the, the Heat can surround them with three knockdown shooters at all times, but it's almost like, you know, we saw with the Rockets. It's like the Rockets got rid of Clint Capella because Russell Westbrook doesn't provide much shooting and they couldn't afford to have two non-shooters or two, one non-shooter and one limited shooter in their lineup. And and I guess that's why the, the clutch stuff worries me because I, I feel like there's not quite as much... The, the clutch stuff can have a lot of noise with it, but I just wonder with Butler, the fact that he's playing alongside Bam Adebayo, who's not much of a shooter either, I wonder if there's less noise with that than maybe there are with some other players. I think the difference, though, between Jimmy and, and a Russell Westbrook is that we know that Russ can't shoot. Jimmy is... He's not a shooter, a pure shooter. He's, no one's going to mistake him for Duncan Robinson, but he's a big-time bucket getter. You, you still don't want to leave him open for three in the clutch. That's the moments he lives for and the, and the moments where he uh, normally would come through. That's his sort of style. He could go you know, 0 for 20 but knock down that big shot when it matters the most. That's the, the fear of, uh, of, of having a Jimmy Butler on the floor in the clutch. You brought up James Harden, so let's get to that series because that is a series I think that is the most interesting in the first round. The Thunder and the Rockets, it's the Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook playing their old team's revenge series. James Harden, uh, a lot of pressure in my opinion on him to try and have a, a, a really impactful postseason run. That doesn't mean win it a ring. Would be great if you want a ring to complete his legacy, but uh, you know it's not realistic for this Rocket team to 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 go on a run. We still have the Clippers and Lakers, uh, you know, ahead of them in terms of favorites in the Western Conference. 
But if James Harden could put together a nice postseason, uh, an impactful one, possibly get to the conference finals or, or just or, or, or just steps away from the conference finals, I think people will start to look at this legacy uh, a little bit differently. And uh, he's coming into this postseason now with a lot more on his shoulders than he would have if everybody was healthy and his his you know robin to his batman russell westbrook is going to be out with the quadriceps injury for at least the first couple of games and uh that to me has made this series a lot more interesting than it would have been had russ been healthy if russ was healthy i would have the rockets all day maximum five games he's not healthy this gives okc an opportunity for the upset in my opinion I agree with you that it's definitely more competitive without Russ, but I, I still have the Rockets winning the series just because I don't really think they have an answer for James Harden. And look, he's going to have to carry a huge load in this series, and I think that's going to impact the Rockets more in like the next round or should they play the Lakers in the in the conference finals or whenever that matchup could happen. But I think he's absolutely capable of putting this team on his shoulders for you know six games against the Thunder team and carrying them to victory um, because... You know, the numbers aren't everything, but they, they do give some under, indication that the Rockets were actually better scoring margin-wise this season when Harden was out there without Russell Westbrook. Um, on the season, they, average, they, they outscored teams by 7.7 points per 100 possessions with Harden and without Westbrook. And when they were both on the court, they still outscored teams, but it was a margin of 5.6. So they were slightly better um, overall. And a big reason for that was because they were just even better offensively. Because if you give Harden four guys at all times who can shoot, that just gives him so much space. And we talked about it with Doncic at the start of this show. It's a very similar case where he can be, I mean, he's even better than Luka Doncic in isolation. He's potentially the most prolific isolation scorer in NBA history, and he can score against anyone. So as soon as you send any sort of help towards his way, you have suddenly P.J. Tucker wide open in the corner or, or Ben McLemore on the wing or anything like that. So I think it's going to put, even without Russell Westbrook, it's going to it's going to put a ton of pressure on the Thunder. Guys like Stephen Adams who aren't used to, who aren't really comfortable, you know, roaming around the court and having to to meet a James Harden out on the three point line and then recover to PJ Tucker in the corner. You know, how does that impact him? So I, I still give the Rockets a slight edge. Whether Thunder are going to have to beat the Rockets to make this a series is the minutes that Harden isn't on the court, because the Rockets yeah. basically play every single minute of every single game with one of them on the court. Um, and obviously they, they, they play a similar style where it's like you spread the fall for them and just let them work their magic, although they do it in different ways. But suddenly without Russ, you know, it's going to be a lot of Eric Gordon in those minutes. And he's had a pretty bad season by his standards, save for that one 50-point game against the Jazz um, before the season was suspended. So I think, you know, if, if the Thunder can really uh, put their foot down and win those minutes, they could be able to make it interesting. I, I just still have a hard time seeing them being able to slow down Harden and the Rockets offensively enough. Um, to really beat them. The Rockets this season have gotten back to playing fast, by the way. Third in pace uh, in the regular season. The Thunder, on the other hand, a little bit more methodical, obviously with Chris Paul um, being able to control the tempo in a lot of games. They like to play a lot slower, a lot more of a playoff style of basketball. So I'll be interested to see if the Rockets still continue to try and run as fast as they did in the regular season without Russ. Um, and, and or maybe falling back into the pattern of a lot of James Harden isos, as you were saying, and, and, and spread the floor and, and continuing to play that way. I, I'll probably think it's the latter, right? Like, I, I don't I don't see the Rockets trying to run as much as they did with Russ. No, and if, if you actually look at, look at the same on-off numbers um, that I mentioned before, the Rockets played at a much higher pace when Harden was next to Westbrook, 
and that's because Westbrook is one of the most devastating transition scorers in the league. Um, so their, their pace was 106, so 106 uh, possessions um, in a game, to 101 with Harden without Westbrook. Um, so that's a huge drop-off. So I, I, I'm with you. Even though Harden can be a terrific transition scorer, he likes to play the game slowed down. He likes to attack, attack guys one-on-one. And it's Russ, really, who, who thrives in those uh, up-and-down situations. Yeah, they're definitely going to miss uh, that speed and pace and that, and that play. That allows, I think, OKC a little bit more uh, uh, leeway to get into this series. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Give me a prediction on that one. I think I had the Rockets in six. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, the, the the one actually the really interesting thing that we we probably should have talked about is that the the Thunder's three guard lineup with Dennis Schroeder, Chris Paul, and Shea Gilgis Alexander has basically been like the best lineup in the NBA this season because mm. they can basically just throw three guys out there who can each run a pick and roll, score all three levels, and they're also good enough shooters off ball where you can't just leave them on the three point line. I, I think the Rockets are going to be a fascinating test case for them in that regard because they're one team that has five guys on the court all the time who can who can kind of guard at least four positions now schroeder's you know one of the quickest guys in the league chris paul is is an absolute magician with the ball in his hand so that's it's going to be interesting to see if you know pj tucker can can keep up with them multiple times in a game um but i'm sure we will see it won't be long until we see that three guard lineup in this series and that's another thing that could kind of tip the scales in okc's favor if they are able to kind of run away with those minutes as as always in every playoff game, the whistle is going to mean so much because the Rockets are a little bit more physical than I think people give them credit for. Uh, and to try and slow down that three guard lineup, I'm sure they're going to be hammering Shea. I'm sure they're going to be hammering uh, hammering uh, Shooter and also CP3 to make sure that it's a it's a long series that they do feel physically throughout, especially without Russ. So um, my prediction is I, I had the Rockets in seven because of the Russ injury. Had he been there, I think it would have been a short series. But uh, Rockets in seven is my prediction for this one. And, and that's the only series I think will go seven um, in the first round. We'll be back next week, same time, same channel, 3 p.m. Eastern time across the NBA Global Networks. In the meantime, you can like and subscribe and leave a comment on our podcast feed at NBA Sound System. You can follow us on social media at NBA Sound System. And uh, for Scott Rafferty, I am Carlin Gay. We will see you next week right here on NBA Sound System Live.